Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Able Voices Podcast. I'm Dr. Rhoda Bernard, Founding Managing Director of the Berkeley Institute for Arts, Education, and Special Needs, and I am proud to present this podcast featuring disabled artists and arts educators. We are inviting artists with disabilities to be guest hosts for the Able Voices Podcast. Today, you'll meet our second guest host, internationally celebrated mezzo-soprano Sophia Grech. Hailed by the Sunday Times as a singer who delivers without effort, Sophia has won great acclaim and notoriety from performances at leading concert halls, opera houses, and international festivals worldwide, leading to regular invitations to give masterclasses around the world. In 2015, Sophia was diagnosed with autism, and she is now a leading ambassador on behalf of autism organizations. Her book titled, I Wish I Could Sing, was published in 2020. Welcome, Sophia. We're delighted to have you as our guest host of the Able Voices podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I'd like to start off by asking you to tell us your story as a musician. How did you start as a musician and how did you get to where you are today? So, as a child, I would immerse myself in the sound of musical instruments. And as an autistic child, I found this soothing and calming. Then when I was about eight years old, I saw an opera singer on television. And to my amazement, I realized I could make the same sound. From then on, I would use singing as a way to communicate and express my feelings because I struggled to do this verbally. You could say my singing gave me a voice. Now I knew from an early age that I wanted to be a singer. So I started taking singing lessons and later won a scholarship to the Royal College of Music. Now, originally, I didn't want an international career because I was so afraid of flying. And the idea of travelling to other countries was daunting. So shortly before graduating, I asked my teacher at the Royal College if it was possible for me to have a career in the UK only. And she replied, with a voice like yours, you had better get used to flying. Mm. Now, although this was flattering, deep down I was terrified. Now, after I graduated, I was lucky enough to be invited to give a couple of big concerts in London, including at the Royal Festival Hall. And from then on, I had office internationally. And I remember my first concert abroad was in Spain, where I was invited to give a concert at the Barcelona International Festival. So this was the first time that I had been on an aeroplane. And unfortunately, I had a total autistic meltdown on the flight. Oh, my. Yeah. And ended up sitting in the cockpit with the pilot. Now, that simply wouldn't happen these days because it's restricted and, you know, passengers can't go in in the cockpit. Mm -hmm. However, it helped me a lot. And by the end of my flight, I was totally fine. Now, shortly after this, I began flying all over the world and I was okay uh, because I had found a way to manage flying. Now, to answer your question, how did I get where I am today? I think my determination to succeed has simply outweighed my daily challenges of being autistic. Mm -hmm. I had to work hard and be self-reliant and single-minded to achieve my goals. I didn't know I was autistic, but I knew something was amiss. But I carried on regardless and adapted my thinking and approach depending on what my circumstances were. 
let's face it, I wasn't going to get anywhere if I didn't find a way to overcome my disability, albeit I didn't know I had one. So I naturally developed self-talk strategies to cope, especially when it came to mixing with other people. For example, in the early days, I would cope by mimicking other people in order to manage when meeting important people. So I performed and mingled with heads of state and royalty, including singing at Prince Charles's house and for the Queen. And I've even had dinner with the president of Malta. Hmm. And he asked me to come and sit next to him during the dinner. Now, that's lovely, but I had to really concentrate not to let my autism affect me at that moment. So I think at the end of the day, I just had a self-determination and desire to achieve and pursue the career that I love and cherish. Wow. Thank you for all of that. Um, Really, really interesting journey. And you spoke so eloquently about your experiences. Um, You were diagnosed at a much older age. Can you talk about what it was like, your experience being diagnosed then and, and how that changed your thinking and and your life? Yes, yes. Um, So I wasn't diagnosed until I was 45. And life was very hard before my diagnosis because I knew there was something different about me, but I didn't know I was autistic. And other people had the wrong perception of me and made their own judgments. And I would be labelled as scatty and dizzy and not very bright. But I'm none of those things. I'm just autistic. That's right. Yeah. So also people would underestimate what I was capable of. And then they would be so surprised when I succeeded. And I think that happens a lot with autistic people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, um, you have to encourage autistic people to pursue their interests. However, I just must add that there are some positives to being autistic. For example, you know, we have an incredible ability to see detail. Also, yes. we're very, you know, we're very good at memorizing things. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, when I was 15, I memorized the entire Bible. So, oh, Matthew, yes. <laughs> so Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and I memorized it word for word, wow. including every full stop and comma. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Yes. And I did this in order to pass a religious studies exam. I did pass, by the way. (laughs) I would imagine so if you had it now. (laughs) Now, when I was diagnosed, it was a positive, life-changing moment. I mean, it was a lot to digest. Sure. Yeah, but it answered a lot of questions about myself, and it gave me some inner peace. So today, I'm much more confident because I understand myself and the effects that my condition has on me, and how to manage it. Mm -hmm. I've also got very good at managing it, to the point where people say to me now, oh, you don't look or appear autistic, and oh, you don't seem that bad. Well, it's because I've learned to mask my autism using learned behaviour. But as a child, I was typically autistic. So... I didn't communicate, I couldn't socialise, I had no friends. I used to rock and headbang for hours each day, right up until my early 20s. I also had learning difficulties, so I could hardly read and write. I couldn't even tell the time until I was 12. 
Now, I've managed to overcome most of these problems today. There are still some which are still very difficult. And one which I think is worth mentioning is sensory issues. Mm -hmm. So I find most clothing and materials itchy, which is unfortunate when I have to wear so many opera costumes and ball gowns. But I have a way to manage this, and it's quite a funny one, because I simply wear pyjamas underneath. (laughs) (laughs) Now, mostly on my bottom half, I I wear the pyjamas. Now, I remember singing at the Royal Albert Hall, wearing the most expensive ball gown with a pair of pyjamas underneath. (laughs) (laughs) But it worked, right? It does work. Yes, absolutely. And the audience doesn't have a clue. <laughs> well, they do now. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Um, I understand, Sophia, that you have a bit of music that you'd like to share with us. Can you tell us a bit about the first piece that we're going to hear? Yes, certainly. So this is a song called Oh, Dry Those Tears by Teresa del Riego. And it's a live recording from the National Concert Hall in Belgrade. That's Kalarat Concert Hall. And it's taken from my 2019 concert tour, together with pianist Zanya Stefanovic. Wonderful. And let's hear a little bit of that piece.
Thank you so much for sharing that music with us. Um, And we're going to hear another excerpt later in the podcast. I know that our listeners would like to hear about the music education that you received. Can you talk about how you learned music and how you continue to learn music today? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, Unfortunately, uh, we didn't have music education at my school. However, the school did hire a singing teacher and I had my first singing lesson when I was about 14. Now, the singing teacher was surprised when he heard my voice and decided to contact the Royal College of Music in London to ask if they would consider hearing me. Now, at first they actually said no, because I was too young. However, after some persuading, they agreed and I was invited to sing for the head of vocal studies at the Royal College. Hmm. Now, after hearing me, she said, would you like to be an opera singer? If so, we need to start training you now. So this was a fantastic opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, to start my lessons at the Royal College at 14. It was just fantastic. So I began my training with her, but I couldn't read music. However, after a while, I started to learn the basics of music theory Mm -hmm. and realised I had a hell of a lot to catch up on. So... Over the next couple of years, I worked really hard and I gained theory and piano exams and also A-level music. However, when I was 18 and it came to auditioning for full-time studies at a music college, my teacher didn't support my application because she thought there was something amiss with me. Obviously, it was autism, but we didn't know that. Right. And she thought that I would struggle with the fast pace at a top music college. Now, this news absolutely devastated me and I had a really bad meltdown and I went to bed for days, actually, and I wouldn't get up because studying at a top music college had been my dream. So after about three days in bed, I suddenly just had this feeling like it doesn't matter. Um, I can do what I like, so I'm going to audition anyway and I'm just not going to tell her. So... I auditioned without her knowing anything about it. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I love to name off the application forms and everything. So um, to my amazement, I won scholarships to the top four music colleges in the UK, including the Royal College in London, which is where I I chose to go in the end. And my teacher was uh, actually head of the um, audition panel when I I auditioned. And um, she, she was absolutely delighted and so pleased that I'd actually decided you know, I'm just going to do this. So she did support me in the end. Um, (laughs) Yes. Um, Now, I did very well at college, despite various academic struggles. And I won a lot of major prizes and awards. And I used to represent the college in open days and competitions. Mm -hmm. And I did graduate with my degree. But whilst I was a student, I found the music education actually not that bad. It was quite easy. But my reading and writing hadn't improved much since school. And I remember the history lecturer asking me, Sophia, is English your first language as your essay is unreadable? Now, he asked me this in front of the entire class. So it was a bit bit embarrassing. Um, however, However, I've forgiven him for that because... There were actually 40 different nationalities studying at the Royal College at that time. 
and my essay was unreadable as my learning difficulties were still evident but they didn't know that I was autistic because it you know it wasn't even a recognized condition then I mean you know we're going back about 30 years right 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 yeah so um regarding about learning music um in the early days I would learn by ear so I could pick it up easily and I had a natural aptitude for it now obviously as time progressed I had to learn theory and catch up on my academic musical knowledge which which I did and I really enjoyed it so I'd sit for hours and practice clapping rhythms and singing intervals to improve my ear training now Today, I find learning music is just second nature to me. Mm. So I sit at the piano and learn vocal scores, and it doesn't impact on my autism at all. But when it involves large stage productions, this is where it starts to get a bit trickier for me, especially opera productions, where there is lots of complicated staging. So learning operatic scores is fine, Anything to do with the music side of a production is easy, but the staging is another matter mm-hmm. because I struggle with the stage direction, director's instructions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, this has clearly never stopped me. That's right. Yeah, and I have managed very early on in my career to get around this problem by drawing coloured pictures of every scene in an opera in order for me to be able to follow the stage direction. So I see all the staging in colour. For example, I give the characters in the opera's colours instead of using their names. And stage left is blue and stage right is pink. And so I have all these colour pictures which I have drawn on A3 size pieces of paper Uh And they look very similar to children's drawings. In fact, I was singing at one opera company and I decided to be brave and put the pictures up on the wall in the green room as I thought this might help me follow what I'm doing. But the director came in and saw them and said, can someone please remove all the children's drawings from the wall? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, because I'd always hidden it from other cast members. But today I'm just more open about that now. (laughs) I love that strategy. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I would like to ask you a little bit about your teaching. You give many master classes around the world. Can you talk a little bit about the teaching that you do and what that's like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I feel very honored to give master classes. It's always a privilege to hear so many young singers. Now, I gave my first master class when I was only 30. And I remembered feeling really apprehensive about it because I had to speak in public and to so many people. Mm. And I found that incredibly challenging. But as I got older, and certainly since my diagnosis, it's much easier. Also today I talk at cinemas and autism conferences, so I'm used to it now. Right. Now, yeah, so regarding teaching, you know, I love it. And I'm very comfortable teaching. I've always found it comfortable. Um, I've always decided to do more of it, but became very busy performing, which unfortunately then took up the majority of my time. Sure. However, I, you know, I hope to do more in the future because I'm passionate about mentoring students, especially if they have a disability. 
And I have so much to share because of my experiences, I think, as a performer with autism. Mm -hmm. Also, today, I receive a lot of messages from autistic music students all over the world asking for my advice and help because they want to have careers as performers but feel so worried and anxious about that. So I really want to help them to achieve their goals. Um, you're going to make me skip over to a question because you gave me the perfect segue. Yes. You mentioned that you hear from autistic musicians or musicians yes. with disabilities um, about and asking you for advice. Yes. I'd like to know what advice you would give to a musician with a disability who wants to be a performer. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I always say, look, if you're seeking a career as a performer and you have a disability, it is very achievable. You know, I've done it, but you, you have to be kind to yourself and find a pathway that's comfortable for you. And I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. And also by doing this, you know, you can break down barriers and be an inspiration to other people. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, you know, regarding getting work, I think you will find that these days, most people and organisations are more open and they are trying hard to be helpful, supportive and accommodating. You know, it's much better today than it was when I was coming through the system. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But also, I think that it's important that everyone embraces the untapped potential of musicians who have a disability because they have so much talent to share. You know, society needs to promote and educate, inspire and provide opportunities for everyone. Absolutely true. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, so I know that there's a second piece of music that we're going to hear a little bit of, and I'd like you to tell us a little bit about that piece. Yes, yeah, so um, this is the very famous um, aria, Voike Sapete. From oh, I sang that years ago. Oh, thank you. It's lovely. Arias, yes. Yes, lovely. And this is from Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro. And this is me live in concert with the National Symphony Orchestra of Bulgaria. Oh, wonderful. Um, please enjoy Voike Sapete. Thank <laughs> you. 
Thank you, Sophia, for sharing that music with us. Our listeners, I know, would love to hear more about what you're working on today in your music. What are some of the projects you're working on right now? Yeah, so um, it's really, it's a bit different for me, this. It's really interesting. So I'm currently working on a series of concerts with uh, Baroque trumpeter Crispy and Still Perkins. And we are reviving arias from the Baroque period for alto and trumpet, which Mm. have somehow been lost from the alto repertoire and made their way into the soprano category. You know, there are many well-known soprano arias that are actually originally for alto voice. Is that a common thing that happens, that that alto vocal parts get somehow usurped by the soprano world? That's interesting. Yeah, it seems it seems to be mostly in um, early music. So from the Brock period, there's a lot of very famous ones. Like, for example, I don't know if you know Eternal Source of Light Divine. Yes, I do. Yeah, by hand. In fact, I think that was uh, Harry and Meghan's wedding. They had that piece sung. Um, And it's a very famous soprano piece. But in actual fact, it's originally for alto voice. Oh, yeah. So I'm enjoying working on that at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) So that sounds like a wonderful project where you're taking those those, um, arias for altos as they belonged. Yes. And I know that you will be interviewing guests for us in the future, in future episodes. And we're really excited about learning more about the artists that you will be interviewing. I want to thank you, Sophia, for taking the time to speak with us today. We are really looking forward to these episodes that are coming next. Able Voices is a production of the Berkeley Institute for Arts, Education, and Special Needs, led by me, Dr. Rhoda Bernard, the founding managing director. It is produced by Daniel Martinez Belcampo. The introduction music is by Kai Levin, and our closing song is by Sebastian Batista. Kai and Sebastian are students in the arts education programs at the Berkeley Institute for Arts, Education, and Special Needs. If you would like to learn more about our work, find us online at berkeley.edu slash BIA. E-S-N or email B-I-A-E-S-N at Berkeley. That's L-E-E dot E-D-U.